All right. Good morning, everybody. So we are coming up. It's an exciting time of year, isn't it? We got Thanksgiving on Thursday, uh, Christmas a little over a month from now, New Year's right around the corner. Got everything just really going into full swing at this point, huh? Uh, let me see a show of hands real quick because I always find this interesting, right? Uh, who is listening to Christmas music already? There you go. There you go. I know there's probably more of y'all that are just worried to raise your hand because you don't want to be seen as weird. But I'll tell you, the day after Halloween, my, I got my wife's car, and she was already going. She was just rolling with it. She was about it. All right. But we're going to be continuing in our Christmas series this morning. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, the way that we're going about this is looking at the Gospel of Luke for a little bit of the background story and really get a clear understanding of the birth of Jesus. Last week, Pastor Tim took us through the beginning of chapter 1, where we got some important historical context, uh, background information on the times and all that, and then we met Elizabeth and Zechariah, the son or the parents of uh, John the Baptist. And in that, we saw the birth of John foretold by an angel of the Lord. Pastor Tim also laid out for us the importance of our prayer life in that. Right? This morning, we're going to continue on in this conversation between Zechariah and the angel. And through that, we're going to see a little bit of our own human faults. But more importantly, what I want us to realize this morning is this, that God is faithful in his promises, even when we are not faithful to believe them. So let's go ahead. We're going to get right into our text this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall, I, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which, have, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting, waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Amen. All right. I struggled through that reading a little bit this morning, but we're going to make it through. So you'll remember that Zechariah is working in the temple as a priest, and he has just been told by an angel of the Lord that his wife will bear a son. And not just any son, she will be carrying the forerunner to the Messiah, John the Baptist. Oof, there you go. <laughs> as it says in Isaiah 40, verse 3, that he will be a voice that will cry out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Zechariah gets a whole lot of information 
in verses 13 through 17, right? He gets the, the pregnancy news, the gender reveal, the birth announcement, his name, his upbringing, the career he's going to have, his character, and the results of his life all rolled into that one message from God, right? That's a, that's a whole lot to take in, isn't it? And Zechariah, in a very human way, instead of falling to his knees and, and praising God for, for what he's going to give to his family in the gift of a child, and not just the birth of any child, but the, but the child that the Messiah will come after. He does what a lot of us would probably do in his scenario. And uh, what he did was, and what we would do, is look at our circumstances first and not what God can do. Right? Zechariah says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Translation to that, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Angel, but... Uh, I don't know what makes you think I'm supposed to believe this. I'm old. My wife's old. We both know how babies get made, and I don't think this is, the math's not working here. And the angel pulls rank on him, right? He says in verse 19, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. In other words, Gabriel is saying, I know who I am, but I don't know who you are trying to argue with me like this. I came directly from God with, with this message. And Zechariah's prized for his argumentation and, and really disbelief, unbelief in, in this promise from God is that he would not be able to speak until the birth of his son. They use the word uh, mute in verse 22. There is some evidence that we'll see later on in Luke uh, that he also may have been deaf at this time. right? The Greek word here, uh, kufos, can be translated as either deaf or mute, right, depending on its context. And later on, like I said, later on in chapter Luke 1, we're going to see a context where it may explain that he was also deaf at this time. But I want to pause here for, for just a second. We'll get back to it. This, this unbelief, this disbelief, whatever you want to call it, is pretty consistent, right? It, it's consistent in the scriptures. It's consistent really in our own lives as well. When God gives us the things that, that we want so badly or the things that we need, when God answers these prayers that we've been lifting up to him for, for so long, right? It could be weeks, months, even years. How often are we to, to for whatever reason, believe that, that he's not doing it? If we're being honest, we could say that, that sometimes it's because we don't have the faith to believe that those things will happen. Right? Or maybe we have too much pride in some scenarios. Right? There's a multi multiple list of reasons of why we do this. We talk about having that kind of faith, sure, but even if an angel of the Lord came to us and spoke to us directly, like what happens right here, are you 100% sure that you wouldn't try and argue with them? Because I'm not. I, I think I'd probably argue with them. If nothing more than just for the debate of it itself. We'll always find a reason, right? Because for whatever reason, we can be just so quick to deny the things that God is doing in our lives. And I'm going to move on from this, but, but I want you to keep this in mind because we're going to come back around to this at the end, right? So the people are waiting for him to come out of the temple. And with his age, if we're being honest, they're probably a little bit worried and concerned that something may have happened to him while he was in the temple. 
Because the tradition dictated that once the priest completed his prayers in the temple, he was to come out of the temple and, and show the people that he had not been struck down by God. And when he finally does, he's unable to speak, right? What the people would normally expect at this time is something like the blessing given by Moses in Numbers, or Numbers 6, 24 through 26, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, right? This is the type of thing that they're usually used to hearing in that time. And instead, he, he's making signs to them. Right? And in Jewish tradition, these signs would have, would have shown that God acted in a very special way in that temple. And he had received some type of great news or, or a great vision within the temple. Little did they know how great that truly was, amen? But Zechariah couldn't, couldn't tell anyone about it, right? Zechariah alone at that moment was the only one that knew that, that God was moving forward in those plans to bring the Messiah forward. And he would remain silent until that long-awaited son came. We'll see later that he kind of picks up writing uh, to really start to communicate the things that are going on. That way, at least Elizabeth knows what's going on in her life, right? And speaking of Elizabeth, it's about time that we really mentioned her in this whole thing, right? I mean, she's only carrying one of the most important people in uh, the history of the world, right? Um, When Zachariah comes home, From his time in the temple, they conceived the child, just as Gabriel said. She then hid herself for five months, not showing that the world that she was pregnant. But I want us to catch this. Elizabeth did not hide to to conceal her pregnancy necessarily, right? She chose to be absent during the initial five months because it's it's a period where a lot of people wouldn't even realize that you were pregnant. Her departure was driven by a desire to dedicate herself and connect with God and reflect on, on the future of, of this child grown within her, right? In verse 25, it says, Lust the, Thus, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked, upon, looked on me to take away my approach among people. As Pastor Tim said last week, not having a child, especially at the age that they are at, was seen as, as a disgrace in this time. So in this, God has not only brought the forerunner of the Messiah forward, but he has also taken away their burdens. The thing that, that God wants for us is, is not too unlike what he wanted for Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth in verse 25 to take away our approach or reproach among men and women. He wants to restore that which, which robs us of our dignity that we all have being made in the image of God. He wants to give us these, these good desires of our heart that lead to him. He wants to, to give us something that, that is so good and true, and that is eternal life in Jesus. So I want to come back to that that question. Why do we try and find a reason to argue against God's good plan and promises? I think a lot of it has to do with timing, right? Because everything has to be on our schedule, right? If it can't happen right at that moment or or very soon after, we feel like we need to move on to something else. I was talking to the youth a couple Sundays ago about, about the fruit of the Spirit, and this came up there as well, right? Patience. Patience in the Lord. 
being still and, and, and knowing that he is God. The God who has been so patient with us for so long. We are a culture that has uh, grown so accustomed to a lifestyle of instant gratification, right? And, and speed that we often lose sight on God's timing because we're so concerned about our own. And listen, I know, I know, a lot of the older generations will say uh, it's generations like mine, the millennials, and even younger that struggle with this. But listen, we need to be honest, and y'all struggle with it on your own too. <laughs> Things like Amazon, the internet in general, uh, how many channels that you have on your TV, uh, fast food, even Jiffy Lube with 10 to 15-minute oil changes, right? They really mess with our concept of timing. And I'll admit that I, I, I'm just as bad, right? I want the instant gratification stuff. If I, if I want something at that moment, I want it at that moment. But sometimes because of this, that, that we need God, we feel like we need God to answer our prayers at that exact moment, or we feel like he's not listening, or that he doesn't actually care. And that's just wrong on its face. Church, we, we have lost sight on the fact that, that God works on his own time according to his own good plan and not ours. And his time is always perfect. And sometimes it may not correlate with our plan. It may happen long after we're gone. But you know what? It's going to happen. And despite our, our, our doubts or our impatience even with him, which, if we're being honest, we really have no right to have, right? God's plan is going to unfold at his appointed time just the way he wants it to, and that is the way that it should be. And we see that here. Zechariah is so consumed by, by the issue of him and his wife's age that he finds it impossible to understand that they could have a child. Not trusting in God's good plan for his people. And understand, this is a man that knows the scriptures. So this is a man that should also understand that Abraham and Sarah had a child at that old, those types of old ages. But he still struggles with it. He had no reason to doubt it, neither should we. Because if God truly exists, as we know that he does, it doesn't make sense for us to prioritize our circumstances over his plan. We may question how God's promise can unfold in the midst of our circumstances, but we can never deny that his plan will unfold just the way that he wants it to. My friends, these stories teach us that these doubts or, or questions don't necessarily disqualify us from God's plan, but sometimes they position us for a divine encounter, right? Just like what happens here. One pastor puts it this way. If there is no Zacharias, there is no John the Baptist. If there is no John the Baptist, there is no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah. If there is no herald announcing the coming of the Messiah, the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah are unfulfilled. If any of the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the first coming of the Messiah are unfilled, then Jesus did not fulfill all things. If Jesus did not fulfill all things, then he did not complete God's plan for redemption, and you and I must perish in our sins. Church, all of these 
All of these things in general must happen, must happen according to God's perfect timing and his perfect plan at the exact time that he wants it to happen, and it's going to happen that way. I think we need to, to reflect on the implications of that a little bit, right? Especially regarding the Christmas story. The journey of Zechariah and Elizabeth invites us to embrace our doubts and fears with an assurance that God specializes in working in those things. In the midst of our silent moments, when it seems like God is silent, remember that he is orchestrating something beautiful. The Christmas story assures us that, that God's silence is often just a prelude to the greatest revelation. As we move through those waiting periods in our lives, especially during this, this season of Christmas, the season of Advent, if you call it, let's fight this urge to, to, to rush through them, right? To get that instant gratification. Let's fight to not have that. The waiting isn't empty, but, but it's filled with anticipation. Just as Zechariah and Elizabeth waited for the fulfillment of God's promise, our waiting is a sacred space for, for God to refine our faith. Now as we stand coming close to, close to Christmas, let our hearts resonate with that fulfillment. Right? Let the joy that, that burst out of the realization of the promise of the Savior coming and the birth of Jesus, let us rejoice in that. The Lord has done this for me, Elizabeth proclaimed. Likewise, in the Christmas season, let us declare with joy that the Lord has come and great done, done, uh, done great things for us as well. Amen. Wait with expectation. Rejoice in, in those promises. And this Christmas season is, is going to be something that's just going to be a beautiful thing for you. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your word. Father, if there's anybody in this room that, that is struggling in this waiting, let them come to find you. Father, as, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning, if, if there's anybody that, that needs the, the realization of faith in their lives, have them speak with somebody. Have them pray with somebody. Father, we pray over the, the tracks and uh, even the hot dogs that are going to be handed out today, that they would bring somebody close to you. Pray this in the name of your son. Amen. So as we get ready to start moving on the Lord's Supper, um, I kind of, I didn't know we were doing the Lord's Supper this morning until a little bit earlier this morning, but I had been working on, on something that I wanted to do as, I, as we did this, so I'm going to run through it a little bit. Christ our Lord invites all to his table those who love him and who earnestly repent of their sin come to this table this morning not not because you must but because you can not because you are strong but because you are weak not because of any goodness that you may have on your own but because of the goodness of his good 
of his mercy. Because we all need his mercy and we all need his grace. Come because you love the Lord and, and would like to love him more. Come because you because he loved you and gave everything for you. Come and meet the, the risen Christ in his body. The Lord Jesus on the nights when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he, had, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. We're also told to be cautious, right? Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. So to eat from the bread and drink from the cup. For anybody who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on themselves. Though we are welcome to this table, we need to come in a worthy manner. We need to come with a full heart of repentance. This doesn't mean that you need to be perfect. If it did, none of us would be, would be welcome to the table at all. Not a single one of us. But take this time to examine yourself. Repent of any sin that, that you may be harboring. And set yourself free in Christ's name. Amen. Take and eat this bread in remembrance that Christ's body was broken for you. Take and drink this cup in remembrance that Christ's blood was poured out for you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.